We set out this season to tell the story of hemp, to dig into its history, what it's meant to our culture, how it affects our bodies, and especially how it can be used as a building product. Now that we've gotten to the point in the story where we're talking to people who are actually building with hemp, we're changing the style of conversation. Instead of telling an overarching story, we want to delve into the details with folks who are doing this work every day. Welcome to Trace Material Talking Shop. In this episode, Parsons Healthy Materials Lab Director, Allison Mears, will be talking to Maddie Mead, who is the CEO and founder of Hempitecture. Based in Ketchum, Idaho, the company built the United States' first public-use hemp building, as well as many private residences. Along with his co-founder, Maddie was on the 2020 Forbes list of 30 under 30 in manufacturing and industry. Maddie and his partners at Hempitecture hosted the first U.S. Hemp Building Summit in 2019. Keep listening to hear Maddie's exciting and innovative take on the hemp building industry. Hi, Maddie. How are you? Oh, so good to see you again. I'm great. How are you today? Yeah, great to see you too. Yeah. I was thinking back, I was trying to think when we first met each other. I mean, we've known each other for a year or so, over Mm -hmm. a year, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we were in contact a little bit before the Hemp Building Summit. But uh, that was the first time we got to meet you out here in uh, Sun Valley last October. Yeah, fantastic. So we've been, we're long-term friends now. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So today we're going to, we're really interested in understanding your insights about why building with hemp lime is is important and why and how hemp lime can become a viable industry in the U.S. So that's a kind of framing context for our conversation today. So I have some questions to ask you and we really kind of want to understand first about your firsthand experience working in this space. So the first question is, can you tell us about your first hands-on experience with hemp and lime? My first hands-on experience with hemp and lime uh, was not long after I graduated college and actually is how I ended up in Sun Valley, Ketchum, Idaho area and why my business is still based here today. Uh, When I was a senior uh, studying architecture in college, I was minoring in environmental studies and just uh, was enamored at the idea of natural building materials. I was relatively unfamiliar with hemp lime until I did a research project. And I did this research project on vernacular archetypes and thought to myself, what a missed opportunity in the United States uh, to work with this material. They're working with it in Europe, Australia. Uh, saw all these examples and imagined the, the benefits of it. And um, at that point, it was kind of theoretical and conceptual and part of a school project. Uh, but I was so enamored with it that I kept talking about it. And I was competing in these business plan competitions and uh, was reached out to someone who owned a property in Idaho for a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And they asked if I would be interested in coming uh, out to Idaho to work on a hempcrete building project. And the way that they kind of framed it was we want our property to be a sort of laboratory for natural building techniques. Um, so I, it was a very unique opportunity in that they were open to new ideas. They hadn't particularly heard of working with hemp lime prior, um, but 
it came up in a news article, and they said, wow, wouldn't, wouldn't that be cool? Um, at the time, they were working on a cordwood cottage, which is a different kind of natural building technique. Um, and they had ideas of doing rammed earth and, and all sorts of different strategies that you'd demonstrate different ways of, of building with the earth. Um, but likewise, you know, they were enamored with uh, hemp uh, lime as I was and asked me to visit. I took one look at the property, um, which is high mountain desert, uh, sagebrush, um, view of the tallest mountain in Idaho right on a river. And I said, okay, uh, I, I I have to be a part of this project and uh, was able to approach it from a design build, which was really great because being an architecture student, uh, you really have this experience of working through process, working through drawings and developing concepts and to be able to you know, work in the architecture studio uh, and then see those concepts be developed and refined uh, and then ultimately implemented. It was a really rewarding experience. It's such a great story for um, young architect uh, and architecture students to actually hear about that transition from school into practice so quickly and in such a um, kind of interesting area. How did they hear about the work that you were doing in your grand undergraduate um, degree? When I was a senior, um, I had started, uh, this was 2012, uh, started the concept of hempitecture, which uh, at the time was very different than hempitecture uh, is today. It actually started with a building block concept. It was a, a product development concept. Um, and in these business plan competitions, I was pitching this to you know, a crowd full of people, uh, investors. Um, keep in mind, industrial hemp was not legal at the time. Inevitably, I was laughed at, uh, but I did, you know, have some success. I was in, you know, kind of the top three of every business plan competition I was in, but it just seemed so far away. It seemed so far fetched for for the people that were, you know, evaluating the business plan competition. And with each business plan competition, there would be a news article or, or something that was shared and. Uh, interestingly, uh, one of my closest friends became uh, my competitor in a business plan competition, and uh, we had worked, you know, really closely together on developing each other's concepts and supporting each other entrepreneurially. And uh, fortunately for him, he won this business plan competition. He posted an article uh, on Facebook, and it's the it kind of goes to show the power of social media. Uh, this individual from Idaho who owned this nonprofit organization. Had a family, you know, friendship with with this person, and they saw the article, and they called me, and they said, "Hey, we saw that article. Uh, you didn't win in that business plan competition." I was like, "No, I, I, I did not." And they're like, "We know the guy who did. That's that's great. He's my he's my friend. So I'm I'm you know definitely happy for him. Like, we think that's really cool, but we love what you're doing, and we want you to bring this idea." To our property, and, and I think it's important to kind of set the the scene for where the building is is placed. The nonprofit organization is dedicated towards connecting individuals to nature. Uh, buildings, in their mind, and I agree with this notion, should be an extension of nature, should be harmonious with nature. Um, so that that's the story of, of how they found me. Um, it was very serendipitous, uh, and actually at the time. Uh, I was in St. John in the U.S. Virgin Islands doing eco-building there. Uh, again, in that idea of going from architectural process to you know drawing, small-scale model making, that was my first time really hands-on 
making, really hands-on building. And so when uh, they had reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in coming to Idaho, there was not a doubt in my mind. I had just started to realize my passion for making, for creating, for cutting, for building, for seeing things come together. And so uh, traveling to Idaho was, was a natural extension of that. That's so interesting. I was going to ask you, that would be a follow-up question, is like transitioning from school to practice as an architect is, you know, um, uh, beginning to understand what it means to create and document your ideas and then go through the process of somebody else usually building your ideas. But you've been involved in the, both the conception and the creation of, of buildings from a very early kind of time. And so how did you acquire this knowledge of what it means to work with hemp and lime? Well, I, I, it's a great question. And I was very fortunate in that my first opportunity to work with hemp and lime uh, was uh, they, they were very open-minded to it being a prototype. And they were very uh, aware that we were going to be trying something that we had really only done on a small scale before. So in a sense, they created sort of a safe space for experimentation and development, which I think is uh, relatively uncommon in, in this world. And it can be difficult to bridge that gap between you know, you're a, a student who's learning and you go out into the real world. How, you know, what does that process look like? Sometimes it, it, you don't have the ability to you know, learn on the fly or, or learn as you go. Um, but I think being uncomfortable uh, and being pushed and challenged uh, can you know, accelerate that process. It can make uh, that transition easier. And um, I had realized that in this first architectural experience of, of going from you know, thinking about things on a small scale to, wow, we're thinking about a building. How, how is plumbing going to incorporate that? I had never thought about plumbing before. How is you know, wiring going to incorporate with this material? So there were so many things that were so, for us, unknown at the time that working through those and being challenged by those really kind of, um, I would say, pushed along our, our understanding of, of how to work with the material. But to a certain extent, um, I realized that there was much, much more to learn. And it was in going through the process of, of being an architecture student to then working with my hands and creating in the field um, that I realized you don't really know what you don't know until you know it. And uh, I, I actually got a second job uh, at the time of my first building project working for a conventional custom construction company. We were doing uh, high-end residential framing um, and the area that I live is sort of a resort community in some areas. Um, so I had the ability to work with really sophisticated architectural plans and understand how conventional buildings are currently being built. Uh, with that understanding of how our current be, how our current buildings being built, you can apply something new or something different to that so long as you understand the basic premise. And I went to work every day um, working a really physically demanding job with the understanding that at the end of the day, I'm learning something new and I will be able to uh, apply hempcrete and hemp lime to this concept of conventional, traditional building. So it was uh, definitely a, a, a rough period in terms of my professional development. I, I wouldn't say it was easy. I was challenged greatly, but I think embracing that challenge really brings you to a place where you're able to be that professional that you hope to be, but there's always learning process. Yeah, it's such a perfect journey for an architect to both I understand the kind of 
object, uh, objective, idealistic, uh, conceptual part of the work, and then to compare it to what it actually means in practice on the ground in the mud with the framing and, and all of that. So it's such a great journey, I think, for young architects to have and for you as a young architect to have that kind of experience. So what are you working on today with Hemp and Lime, Maddie? We have a number of projects that we've been uh, working on, advising, as well as supplying. Um, outside of, you know, fulfilling, you know, construction project needs using Hemp Lime, we've really been focusing on education. Um, the reason that we're focusing on education is because we've realized that, um, there needs to be more people who are well-versed in the trade of hempcrete. There are more people who won't have that same experience that I had where I got to have a low-risk environment, and they want to learn where to begin. And that's where kind of our contractor training program comes in. Uh, for the last six months, we've been bringing people uh, to our location in Idaho um, based on an application process and giving them a four-day immersive experience and what it means to work with hemp lime, what's the equipment that you need, how do you protect yourself, how do, what are the personal safety measures that you need uh, when working with hemp lime, um, and what are the techniques that you make an efficient and effective install. Um, for the last few years, I've more or less lived in multiple places across the United States using my current location as a home base, but uh, it was basically like, have hempcrete, we'll travel. Uh, you know, whoever would uh, be interested in building a hempcrete structure, I would, I would travel there. I would uh, sacrifice a lot um, to, you know, be in a place for six months to a year, two years. Um, that was great, and, and I, you know, that was a formative experience for me. But why not share that knowledge with others who um, can then maybe you know respond to uh, the desire for these building projects in their communities, um, who can be resources in different locations to accelerate this? Because uh, I truly do believe if hempcrete and building with hemp lime doesn't reach. Uh, scale, the environmental impacts that are so uh, potentially profound can't be realized. Uh, you know, it is a, an incredible thing that hemp lime absorbs, stores, sequesters carbon dioxide, lends to healthy, energy-efficient habitats, uh, but that should be uh, made more accessible. It can only be made more accessible by more people working with it. Uh, the more people that work with it, the more demand there will be for materials, which hopefully will make it a less specialty product, less niche artisanal product, uh, and, and be something that can be more widely uh, implemented. So I understand that you've got some high-profile clients now. One particular client you were um, posting on Instagram, I noticed the other day. You want to talk about that project a little bit? That seems like an exceptional project and an exceptional client. Yeah, so um, about last October, right before our Hemp Building Summit, um, I went to a project site uh, to basically build a mock-up wall. Uh, I wasn't you know, super uh, certain who the client was um, or didn't really know much about, I didn't know much about the client team. Um, they had asked me to you know, build a mock-up, um, demonstrate how Hemp Lime integrates with a, a wall assembly. Um, and I, I didn't fully grasp and realize that at the time uh, I was doing this uh, sort of small scale project 
uh, to be uh, evaluated by uh, a Belgian architecture uh, company, Mood Architecture, and Axel Vervoet, a very renowned interior designer. Um, upon that realization, it was kind of like, wow, what a, what a dream come true um, that I'm able to do something that I've been working towards, that I, you know, I love the craft, I appreciate the craft, um, and that my work was going to be examined by uh, such well-respected individuals in, in the architecture and design communities. Um, and so the project itself is, is really unique and, and exciting. It's a, a minka barn, which is the Japanese uh, archetype for post and beam. Uh, the client team selected a barn uh, in Japan, which was built probably 350 to 400 years ago. Uh, they disassembled it and sent it to this uh, project location where they had a team of Japanese carpenters come and put together uh, the frame. Um, such an amazing experience. And also, I think back to my time as an architecture student, we did a segment on Japanese joinery. We looked at the sophisticated ways in which wood could be joined together without fasteners, without nails. And it was very influential to me to you know, have that experience and understanding of there's such a craft towards carpentry and working with timber. And then to later on be involved with a project that utilizes and incorporates that same Japanese joinery. It really is a, a, a dream come true. And I play a very small part in a project that is being quarterbacked by some really uh, great, incredible architectural visionaries, uh, Mood Architecture, Axel Vervoet, as well as Mel Lawrence Architects, who are the uh, local architects advising and, and developing the plans on the project. They've been all incredible to work with, and uh, they've made my job of supplying insight and uh, sequencing ideas of how hemp lime will integrate with this structure. They've made it easy for me, and so I'm, I'm very thankful to them and, and also very appreciative of the opportunity to participate in such an awesome project. It's so wild, such a beautiful, it sounds like such a beautiful project. I can't wait to see photographs and, you know, understand the sequencing of it and then see the final product. Great. So tell us what, uh, what, is, what is it about hemp that keeps you up at night? Is there anything? There's a lot of things that keep me up at night, and it's always uh, usually in regards to my business. How, how can we reach more people? How can we make this a more accessible material and strategy? How can we grow our customer list? How can we convince skeptics who are initially uh, unsupportive or skeptical? How can we convince them that this is a viable, healthy alternative? This is an alternative that can lend to healthier homes, healthier communities, healthier uh, families, healthier individuals. Uh, you know, we've founded ourselves as a public benefit corporation because we so strongly believe that what we're doing benefits both people and planet. So thinking of ways to, to maximize that, to further our, our mission and impact more projects, more people, more communities, uh, that's what keeps me up at night. So you're not too concerned about the drying time of hemp and lime or whether that wall is going to be as perfect as it could be. You're all set with all of that. No, there, there's always those little things, but uh, I, I am such a believer in the material and, and have gotten to experiment with it and now incorporate it into probably over 15 projects and structures across the United States that I, I, I believe in it so much. There's always, uh, as a 
craftsman, as someone who works with the material, desire to perfect your your ways. And that's a whole other conversation. That That's what also keeps me up at night. But maybe on alternating nights of the week, uh, I definitely have had my fair share of hemp lime dreams where I imagine I'm installing material on a project. And what if we did this differently? Or what if we did that differently? But at the end of the day, it's, it's all a learning process. It's all a learning experience. Uh, and that collection and compilation of experiences uh, is something that you know we, we hope to share with people and, and help spread and grow this building strategy. That's great. So if you think about kind of your dreams and nightmares that you might be having at the moment and think ahead 10 years, what will this industry, what will your industry, what will our industry look like in 10 years' time, do you think or do you hope? It's a really great question what the industry will look like in 10 years' time. And I reflect back to 2012 when I first was working on the concept of hemp architecture and imagining what 10 years from there would look like. And I can't say that it was exactly on the mark, uh, that, that idea. I do feel, however, that the industry is picking up steam as a whole. I think there are more and more individuals who are questioning how our habitats are made, how uh, the materials that go into our habitats impact our health, as well as the health of our earth, the health of the environment. Um, and that sort of awakening is going to drive demand. I see the demand in increasing dramatically, and, and I'm not sure. Uh, it, I feel like we interact with um, 10 times more people than we did maybe just two, three years ago. Um, it could be because we've been around a little bit uh, for a little bit and working on a number of projects. But I would uh, prefer to believe that it's because of the overall awareness that, that's growing and people are becoming more interested in this and it's becoming more viable. The, the tools, the techniques, the materials, they're beginning to become uh, more available closer to home. Uh, there are places where people know how to work with hemp lime now, whereas five, ten years ago, there was nobody. Um, I think it's going to be uh, an, an exponential growth curve. Uh, however, it's not to be overstated how big the industry is right now. It's incredibly small. Um, to call it an industry uh, as it relates to hemp building materials um, is, is almost generous. And, and I think we need to trend in the w direction of, of truly believing that this can be an industry, that this is a deserving industry. It's a deserving trade. There needs to be the sort of framework that's applied to other building practices, other building techniques, it needs to be applied to hemp lime to give it the same sort of legitimacy uh, as, as other uh, building methods have. So in, in, in 10 years, I'd like to imagine that it's recognized as a legitimate strategy. There's people in every state who know how to build with hemp lime. Will there be millions of homes built with hemp lime? I'd like to think so. Uh, I'm not sure. I just know that right now what we need to focus on is sharing what we know, expanding uh, our skill sets and challenging ourselves on uh, projects that push the boundaries, that open uh, the envelope and, and hopefully progress um, this new industry along. So you talked a little bit about trade. I mean, we're really interested in in the trade, the craft, like those two words, I think, are, are really important words as we think about hemp and lime. And we know, you know, that some of the challenges of the supply chain as we think about getting, um, you know, materials that 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 actually perform 
in the way that they need to to be kind of become viable building materials. So, as you think about uh, you think about that ten year time frame and you think about where we are now, how do you imagine we get from here to there? I think it's uh, there's going to be a number of steps and a number of sort of milestones along that journey. Uh, I think one milestone that should be achieved early on for the benefit of the industry would be examination of different standards, evaluating and and testing hemp lime and and biocomposites to the available available, uh, building standards that are out there. ASTM has a a number of standards, and I think that there is some work in, in that direction. We were fortunate to be commissioned for a ASTM E84 test, which uh, evaluates the smoke de- uh, developed as well as the flame spread of a building material. And on that test, we uh, were scored zero on a scale of zero to 450, with zero being the most uh, fireproof building material available. That's just one small sort of victory in a series of, vict- uh, of multiple victories that is going to be required to bring this strategy to the mainstream. Uh, that needs to happen in tandem with education. It needs to happen in tandem with farmers growing fiber varieties with contracts in hand for someone who's going to buy it so that farmers don't get burned and are left with biomass that could be used in building materials and products. Uh, it's left to, to sit in their fields uh, unprocessed and, and unusable. Um, there needs to be confidence from our agricultural side on the, the matter of industrial products from hemp-based materials. Um, without that, I don't think we're going to see a large agronomy for industrial hemp cultivation in the United States, um, which ultimately will, will keep sort of the commodity cost high of the raw materials themselves. Um, we, we have to do this also in conjunction with your government outreach. Uh, there's still states in the United States, and I'm sitting in one of them today, uh, that you cannot cultivate industrial hemp in. Um, with the passing of the 2018 Farm Bill, most would think that uh, industrial hemp is, is fully federally legal. Well, of course it is, but there are still states who have not enacted plans. How do we move the needle uh, in those states to ensure that your farmers and people in the processing and product development side have the same opportunity across the United States? Um, All these things, I think, are happening. I think that we are moving towards them. I think there is progress being made. I just think that it has to be uh, relentless progress. It's going to be a a long time, Um, and I think we can all play a role, whether you're a farmer or someone who's just interested in building products or an educator, a teacher, uh, whomever, a, a tradesperson, you can play a role in this. And in my opinion, I think it all does start with education. I think uh, sharing it with one person, telling one person who might not know about it, they could tell 10 other people. Uh, they could learn more for themselves. Um, so I think that it just starts with, with us, and that's what we can do. Uh, individually to uh, help this become the industry that we hope it to be. We're with you on education, as you know, big believers in sharing sharing knowledge so that everybody can be part of the process. I guess, uh, you know, as we're getting towards the end of this conversation now, 
I'm interested in the kind of product development piece of this as we think about construction and we think about the standardization of products in typical construction. How do you see hemp and lime products being part of that in that in this future that you imagine? That's a really great question, and I've grappled with productization from day one of Hempitecture. As I mentioned before, the uh, foundation of Hempitecture was based off a modular building block concept. Uh, I definitely think that there is great validity to that. I think that nominal building devices will make hemp lime more accessible, made to be more uh, easily implementable. Um, and, and I think that that is something that uh, is coming online but will also require scale. I think um, a community of buyers, uh, a market is necessary for these products to be viable. Um, we can start to make them, but we have to ensure that there's people to buy them. Um, so it is, uh, you know, I, I think we're there. I think it's happening. Um, I think other viable methods are panelization, prefabrication, um, worked on a few different projects uh, using the concept of modular panels. That might be a way of really speeding up the timeline. You, you had mentioned before uh, the idea of drying times keeping me up at night. Well, panels are a great way of solving that. It does, of course, require a design that incorporates panels. It's very difficult to just take a conventional design, convert it to panels. Um, just like it's difficult to take a conventional house and convert it to blocks. So I think we just have to have different avenues, whether it be building blocks, panels, or cast in place, or spray applied, that uh, are appropriate for different uses. And I think each project uh, is so unique. And, and for us, there's been no two projects that are alike. Uh, every project has its own set of circumstances, which dictates the materials and the methods that you use. Um, so I think we're there. Uh, it's exciting to see more products come online, see more of a demand, and hopefully that demand will, will drive the response to um, the market availability of products. There's one final question I have for you. Is there an issue or a, a roadblock or circumstances or something you've identified in your work that we haven't talked about so far that's critical for people to understand you know, how this industry can uh, continue to develop as we move forward? Yeah, that's a really great question. And, you know, compliments to you because I feel like your podcast has done a great job touching on the history of the hemp industry and where we're at currently and, and where we're going. And I think the hemp industry, particularly as it relates to building materials, has the potential to, uh, you know, bring so many different people into it from so many different sectors, whether you're a carpenter, laborer, builder, or a farmer, uh, or a processor. There's so many avenues for people to get involved that I do feel that the hemp industry as a whole, um, as well as a focus on the, the building subset of that, has the potential to um, create a more equitable industry. And I think it's very important that we recognize where the industry originated and the history of hemp in the United States. Uh, which, again, your podcast did a great job of, of covering and, and sort of unveiling of that. And for me, that realization uh, sort of uh, made me realize that we need to make more of a commitment to making it an equitable industry. It has to be an industry that um, incorporates all people. And if we look at the problems with housing and how housing exists today, 
affordable housing tends to incorporate more toxic, more affordable materials that they're used because they're cheaper. Uh, those materials have an impact on our health. Um, there's no doubt about that. And there's no doubt about you know, affordable housing or, or substandard housing uh, impacting minorities and people of color more so um, than, the, you know, the rest of people. So I think that this is a step towards, you know, if we can make this affordable, if this is something that we can you know, figure out ways to do this more efficiently. Um, it could have really important uh, societal impacts um, and, and increase, uh, you know, equity in a society where that's something that we really need to work on. That's fantastic. Well, yeah, magic to my ears here. <laughs> that, that last piece, really wonderful. It's a great conversation. Thank you, Maddie. Really happy to chat with you and catch up and to understand what you're doing at the moment and really kind of think ahead to this new future that is equitable, healthy and available to everyone. Thanks very much. 